and gentlemen, welcome back to Matt Chat. I'm David Miracatani. I'm really excited about today's guest. Got a chance to meet him a few months back. Um, one of the founders and co-head coach of Jackson Wink MMA, Coach Mike Winklejohn. Mike, thanks so much for being on my show. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. No, it's, uh, you know, I got a chance to meet you in person and, and talk to you, and um, we got a chance to talk about wrestling, and I thought a lot of the things we talked about people would be interested in, so... You know, let's dig right into it. You know, one of the one of the things that I didn't ask you was, how did you get into MMA? You know, what is your background and, and how did you end up in that sport? You know, it, uh, I started off with kickboxing, Muay Thai, and uh, gosh, I fought around the world for a long time and uh, got beat up by some of the best guys in the world. But I, along the way, I, I beat like Koban and some of the big names, uh, winning some, some stupid world titles. But uh, early, early uh, 1990s, I'm sitting there watching uh, – uh, Hoist Gracie do something with somebody's arm that I couldn't figure out what he was doing, and I was kind of, <laughs> and I was kind of upside down. And I didn't, I didn't have wrestling base. I, I grew up with a lot of wrestlers, um, and so, so I knew the guys, and I always screwed around with them. But I really didn't have wrestling base. I pretty much sucked at it. And uh, I ran, I ran to a buddy of mine who was an all-American wrestler in college, uh, Division One, and I said, "We got to start wrestling." And I started wrestling with him every day. He started just taking me down. I'm trying to figure out how I keep getting taken down and how some of the strikes evolved that I, I work with John Jones and some of the guys on. And uh, I actually, in my 30s, I'm a youngster, I think 30 years old, I'm going to wrestling practice. Now, granted, UNM didn't have the greatest wrestling program at that time, but I'm the old guy in the room with all the young guys, and they're like, why are you here? <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, I'm going to be here every day until I figure this shit out and get better. Um, it was kind of funny because I was still fighting. I still had my fighting career, so I could outgas a lot of guys. Um, but I kept doing stuff that uh, uh, was against the rules, things like that. But I learned so much. Along the way, uh, Chris Lachella introduced me to Greg Jackson. Uh, he had just found Greg. I actually showed Chris his first armbar because uh, I was learning other things inside. And Chris was like, ah, this is wrestle. Within six months, Chris Lachella had got, he'd, he'd flown around the world because uh, he was he worked for Southwest Airlines. And, and he started working with Gracie's and Machadas, all, all these different guys, and coming back with his material. Um, he brought that intensity to Greg Jackson, who was a genius at just figuring out how to lock people up off his back. He was a little guy. So I'm, I'm in there with Greg, and, and uh, this little guy keeps choking me out and stuff. Um, <laughs> he was my wrestling base, so I thought, we got to figure out, put all three of our heads together. So Chris and I and Greg started putting our heads together. Chris floated away a little bit because he was a police officer. He had his own thing to do, and Greg and I stayed in it. I, I kept working with Greg on the stand-up. He kept working with me on, on the ground stuff. Um, over the years, we, we transitioned to, to many different wrestling coaches. Um, but with that being said, it just uh, kind of evolved. I was finishing my career doing something called Draka, which is a combination of wrestling and, and Muay Thai. Um, so you could throw people, you just couldn't finish them on the ground. Um, and that's really what made me start thinking more and more about where we're at and the little intricacies in between the two. You can't just wrestle and then stop and stand up. It's those those in-between moments that I think is making a difference in MMA right now and will continue to in the future. Um, and uh, um, when I finished up the end of my career, the next thing I know is Greg was having a lot of grapplers going to a lot of grappling tournaments. I had a lot of kickboxers and boxers doing boxing things. And uh, um, all of a sudden, we had this kid, Diego Sanchez, that uh, was training with us all the time. Keith Jardine, Joy Biasino, other guys were involved at the lower level, but Diego Sanchez was at in the very first ultimate fighter. Right. That thing, that thing took off. We were in the right place at the right time. Um, Greg's very smart. I'm that smart. I'm not that smart. I'm just in the right place. <laughs> and 
gave, with Diego taking off in that first show, that gave us a little bit of credibility because he won. In the second season, we had Keith Jardine, and, and Keith was good friends with Rashad Evans, and Rashad says, gosh, I, I, all I can do is wrestle. So he went to come learn all this other stuff. And, uh, well, I take it back. He could punch, don't get me wrong. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had many skills. I mean, of course, he won, right, right. He, he won this stupid show. So that just evolved. And then from there, it just, it just started growing because of the team concept. What we did was just we thought the best bet is you guys help each other and you will achieve greatness. And, and to this day, that's been our, our common theme is just if you're here helping each other, if you have to fight each other one day for a million dollars, well, God bless you both. But in the meantime, let's get there. And uh, it, it seems to have worked. Yeah, it's an awesome answer, man, because, you know, I didn't really know that. And it's, it's – I think now everybody looks at the sport and everybody's kind of good at everything, right? But, you know, back when it first started, it was, you know, you were, you're a Muay Thai guy, I'm a wrestler, we're going to fight and we'll see who wins. And, you know, guys had very little skills in the other person's camp. So – one of the things that that, you know, that drives me to ask is you have guys, obviously, that come in with core backgrounds, like Jones is a wrestler, you know, you're a Muay Thai guy. How much time, because there's two schools of thought on this, you know, do you spend a lot of time where you're not good to get good? And if you do that, do you become less excellent at the spot where you have the biggest advantage? So how do you look at that, you know, in terms of balancing out guys' training and in their areas of deficiencies and their areas of strength. Well, there's no doubt there's a crux. There is not enough hours in the day to become the, the best at every uh, uh, facet of the sport. Uh, so somebody's always going to have a better wrestling base. Someone's always going to have a better jiu-jitsu base. Someone's always going to have a better striking base. But with that being said, I believe when we have a kid that's a wrestler, that's wrestler all his life, and he understands just motion and balance, he's the easiest one for me to transfer into a great MMA fighter. Um, Maybe it's because my, my, I, I teach striking probably a lot better than I, than I do everything else. But uh, um, if they spend a lot of time, I think a good wrestler can become such a great striker that all of a sudden now, because he's threatening those takedowns, he's threatening those positions, um, it becomes a cluster for, for the other person to figure out what to do. It causes chaos in the guy's mind. I think a stand-up guy getting into wrestling, um, that's a burger. Most of those guys don't want to grind at that level. And uh, um, it, it's harder for them. They can do it, and they can work takedown defense all day long. And that's what I would suggest is work on these places that where the fight is. People have a tendency to want to work on all these moves, and, and, and that's good. But you need to do MMA wrestling, um, and that's I think that's where we're going with our gym now is is, is transitioning everything because a lot of normal wrestling things don't transition over into MMA, and a lot of uh, fighting definitely don't transition over you got to change it the sport has evolved yeah i mean it, it's interesting because like you know probably the biggest headline fight this year was the mcgregor khabib fight and it was it was almost the easiest fight to predict that like hey if it stays standing connor has a great chance if khabib can get it to the ground you know it's almost for sure he's going to win and so it really comes down to distance control for khabib and takedown defense for connor and, you know, we saw Connor do a pretty good job of stopping Khabib's initial attack, but then the transitions and the transitions and the transitions. And I think one of the things that wrestling people know is wrestlers tend to get stronger against guys that don't wrestle because it's a different kind of training. So, you know, I wasn't going to ask you this. When you watched that fight, 
you know, what were your thoughts on it? Were you, you surprised at all by the outcome, or you know, was it kind of what you thought how it would go? Well, I was real happy with with Khabib because I actually like the guy. He's, he's a gentleman uh, behind the scenes. Um, he's just a real good guy. He's actually cornered with me some of my, my guys from 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 Russia because there's a, there's a language barrier sometimes, and he's helped me out quite a bit. But with that being said, I was really actually I was really surprised with how well Connor did early on getting back up um, and defending these different positions. Um, I thought for sure after watching the first round that this thing that thing going to be over shortly. Um, when they came out for whatever that was, the third round, the last round of the fight lasted, I, I was like, oh, man, Connor does have a chance. For some reason, Khabib um, kind of falters for just a second. But it was kind of funny, that transition I was talking about. As soon as he, he kind of did a little, little head fake, little, almost faking a shot, just a little level change and threw that overhand, um, <laughs> that was the difference. So right. he beat him with striking, in my mind, at that point, but it was, like I said, it was because he was able to threaten those takedowns that made that possible. And that's, that, that's just huge. You know, I'm making, I'm making all my guys watch it. The guys, those little things right there change fights dramatically. Um, you could, you, you just dramatically. Some guys will just wrestle, 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 control. And if you, if you win the fight by control, but if now if you put your guard down for just a second, you get caught. Or vice versa. It's just, uh, um, um, that was an interesting fight. It was a good fight. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I don't know if I told you this, but my father's an eighth-degree black belt in karate, judo, shotokan, and jiu-jitsu. He's always taught me that wrestling is America's martial art, and as good as he is and as much as he respects those other martial arts, he always told me that when it came to MMA that wrestling is the best one because it can determine whether the fight stays standing or not. I know, obviously, you understand that, but I think these guys, like we talked about privately and you mentioned guys that come in with these wrestling backgrounds you know they, they're the easiest guys to coach up in the into the other parts of it so um you mentioned a little bit about greg jackson you know and, and we got a chance to talk about him this summer what what kind of guy is he and, and how do you guys you know really complement each other well he, he's my little brother you know we uh, um um i think i just ultimately trust in each other's ability to do things it's kind of when we coach he throws ideas out at me as far as what they'll be doing stand up in the clinch and I'll strike me out of the clinch and, and getting people to their takedowns. My job is to make sure people don't just take me down with footwork, level positions, those type of things, and all the striking. Um, his job basically is is if we're not striking in the clinch and it's tough, we have to blend it. Um, he's, he's, he's strategizing on the ground more so. And don't get me wrong, sports time so big where we have guys that are just the greatest grapplers, got guys that greatest wrestlers to help us out and other striking coaches and we kind of team up on the strategy but Greg is a um, he is a good cop in the gym he's about strategy and, and keeping guys up and getting them to believe in themselves which is so important uh, we're all more the bad cop in the gym <laughs> on the guys you know in a nutshell if you get your hands down and get your ass knocked out you know what I mean if you don't bend your knees you will take it down right if uh, if, if you if so persistent on wanting to get that shot, kind of like John Jones did with Gustin in the last fight. He gassed himself, so pissed off that he got caught off guard and Gustin caught him. But sometimes wrestlers have to stop and think, hold on a second, that takedown will come. Don't force it. Don't force it. And, and I think that's uh, uh, where Greg and I compliment each other is that um, there's kind of a yin and yang there. Um, I'm kind of the guy that hits them real hard with all the tactics they need to win the fight. Uh, Grace, 
side, if I had to, had to say something, uh, he's the best in the world at it. Yeah, I've listened to both you guys, you in person and, and him, you know, watching fights and his level of calmness, you know, and you guys seem like a really good match. And it's it's kind of insane when you look at your guy's gym, which is arguably the most successful gym in the world. If not, it's definitely on the short list. And you guys have sort of had a who's who of MMA come through the doors. You know, why do you think your environment draws these these top level men and women? And and what was your business model to try to get get to make this happen? Frankly, well, I think it's that right said earlier on is that team concept. It's about helping each other. It's kind of one of those things that. Uh, um, Granted, it's an individual sport, and I get it. But on the way, you can't do it by yourself. You can't go up, You can't wrestle by yourself. Um, you can't really box by yourself. You know, you can shadow these things. You can think about it. You can drill in the air. But you need a partner. And that partner's got to be good, and that partner's got to be capable of pushing you. And so, you know, over the years, by, by having better, better fighters come to us, it, it put everybody in this little shark tank where they, you, you, you can't not get better if you go to class. Um, you're constantly pushed that much harder. We don't let these people get hit in the head um, as much as we used to. Um, and so we, we, take, we backed off a little bit on, on the striking type of days. But uh, with that being said, I think it's the fact that they help each other um, and uh, and being clean about our coaching as far as understanding we need to work on these specific aspects, these MMA aspects that, that have helped us quite a bit be fairly successful at what we do. You know, one of the guys that I'm really close to, that you're obviously close to as well, is Jason High, and he went out and trained with you for his last couple of fights, and, and he talked about that, like, you know, that the living arrangements are really comfortable, that, you know, everybody's kind of a big family if he's out, you know, he's a family man and, you know, left his, his wife and daughter to go train with you guys, you know, for a couple of weeks, and, you know, like when there were fights on that weekend, everybody hung out together. He also said that, you know, the altitude was something he felt like really helped him, so... I would imagine that's something that you guys consider a good advantage too, right? Oh, absolutely. We're a mile high, um, and we have access to get to two mile highs real, real quick. I mean, you can be at the top of, of the mountain right next next to us within 20, 30 minutes. Uh, you could be you could be running at over ten thousand feet, um, ten and a half. So it, it, it helps quite a bit. You can do stairs up there. You can do different things up there. I mean, sometimes I maybe guys you know pummel each other up there and do different things um, just to get uncomfortable so that when they're in the fight. That uncomfortable feeling that you get when the cage door shuts, and the guy's doing those unexpected things. You've been there before, um, and, and you learn how to survive and push yourself through those those physical, and mental, mental situations. That no matter what your skill level is, it, it, the mental side pulls you through so many scrambles. Because uh, you would say the, the first guy to quit the scramble usually loses. Yeah, and guys quit because either, you know, they, they br not break mentally, but just give up a little bit mentally, or in a lot of cases, they don't know where to go. And if you don't know which way to go, human nature is just stay where you are, and, and obviously that's where you're going to lose to somebody that knows where they're going. And so that's why I think wrestlers do have such a huge advantage in MMA, especially with the wrestling style now where there's more and more of these flurries and high-level scrambles and and, you know, video on, on our site like Track Wrestling and other sites where you can study everything. So what's interesting to me is probably two of the most recognizable names from your gym are John Jones and Holly Holm. And, and I want to come back to Jones, but, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of these specials about Holly Holm, and it seems like you guys, you two in particular, have a really close relationship. Uh, you know, tell me a little bit about her and, and what makes her special. 
she walked into one of my small gyms like 20 years ago, um, and uh, we were already kind of, kind of involved a little bit. I was actually doing my fighting in Brock at that time, and uh, she came in just to do aerobics. She was a soccer player and diver in high school. Never punched anything before in life other than a street situation because she was a tough kid. Um, but uh, she said, wow, she looked over her shoulder and saw these guys beat each other up because I want to do that. Um, that's kind of it in a nutshell in that she's been with me for 20 years, and how lucky am I she walked into my gym. <laughs> Take the number one recruit in the country walking on a campus and going, I might want to wrestle here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, it's one of those things that cause she had that fire in her because I know it was the first day when she sparred, she got cracked, and she cracked back. Um, now, don't get me wrong, sometimes that comes comes back to haunt you. Um, I knew she had that fire in her. I knew she was a smart girl and very athletic, uh, and so that that played out over the years. She she went and dominated boxing. She's won every everything there is in boxing, every weight division there is. I don't care what anybody says. Um, she killed everybody, and we did it with a lot of footwork because here's a young lady becoming kind of like a, my, my uh, I can't say daughter because I know her dad, but like my little itsy-bitsy sister, young sister, sure. and niece. Right. And I don't want to see her get hit in the head. So we looked with a lot of movement stuff. So we didn't get as many knockouts. But you know what? She didn't take any damage. And that's what I wanted to sort of be as a rest for her life without any damage. I don't give a crap what the fans want to see. Right. You know, for me, right. All about yeah. Win, take the money, take the <laughs> and go home, you know? Yeah, be able to, be able to talk to your, your husband and kids or whoever else it is the next morning, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Too many boxers that I trained or have been around and trained, they can't do that later in life because yeah. they just punch punches after punches. Even with big head gear on, the stupidest thing in the world is to take numbers and punches and numbers over and over and over and just cover up. Anyway, so boxing sucks in that sense versus MMA. But, but Holly went on to do that, and uh, she always trained in the gym with everybody. She would just get in there and wrestle people, didn't know what she was doing, but she would toss people in there. So she started to learn as time went on. And then she starts behind the scenes getting better and better at it. The problem with Holly is she can really wrestle. And she's gotten very, very good at it. She's very strong. Um, man, I'll tell you what, her, her, her control now on top and in the clinch is she's as strong as any girl in the UFC, even at 145 in the clinch. Holly Holm, um, she was able to control cyborg in the clinch. I mean, that's how strong she is. But it's just a matter of getting that belief because when you haven't done it before in the cage or haven't had those tournaments on the wrestling mat, you're not positive, and it's all about that mental side of it. We have to have confidence. But she's grown so far, um, and she's gotten so much better. She she went up there, and she, she took out Ronda Rousey. She actually took Ronda Rousey down. Um, she did great. At that point in time, her life changed a little bit, and that's as far as I'll go with it. And things kind of went downhill a little bit. Don't get me wrong. She also fought the best in the world, fighting Starbuck, and who does that and almost wins. But with that being said, she's back. And you saw in her last fight, uh, Mostly wrestling. She was back. Fought a girl that was gigantic. Yeah. Almost six one with long arms. And Holly's like, holy crap. So we're definitely calling for the takedown, take her down and control her. Holly did that. Um, she's able to control a much bigger girl. So that's MMA. You have to find the easiest, best path to victory. Yeah, path to victory is a huge thing. And you mentioned the Ronda Rousey fight, and I think most people know that. But she's the one, you know, when you guys, when Holly beat Ronda Rousey, you look back on it now, and, and you, it's in hindsight, obviously, 2020, and you go, well, here was the hole in her game. But at the time, Ronda Rousey was just like a Mack truck of destruction. And, you know, it was she was like Mike Tyson before Buster Douglas. You know, like, it wasn't were people going to beat her. It's like how quick were they going to get 
you know, armbarred or choked out or knocked out. You know, when what was the game plan you had going into that fight, and what mindset did somebody like Holly Holm have to have to, to fight somebody and believe that she could win against people, uh, you know, when most people thought her opponent was invincible? Well, we look at Ronda Rousey's comfort zone and what she can and can't do, and uh, we know that if we can take away um, the way she grabs on and was almost always over the left arm, she always overhooked over that side, over the top. And if we can take that away from her, if we can defeat that, and then if we do get an armbar, defeat that armbar, we know we'd own her with everything else. The stand-up was actually really easy, which what most happened because, um, well, first off, Holly's got the experience, and mentally she wasn't going to be beat by this girl that kept devastating everybody. She's like, yeah, right. Um, I figured her coach was going to be real calm and say, hey, you know what, we're going to step outside and flank her. We're going to try to take her back because that's what you do with southpaws. So immediately when Rhonda steps slides that side, Holly actually bounced the other direction, which left open this live side to attack her. And Holly kept doing it to her over and over because they had practiced. I, I, I had figured this. They would practice so much the normal boxing thing that we could flip the, the script a little bit on it. And Holly destroyed her with those type of moves. And uh, I told Holly before the fight, she's going to have what we call the Christy moment, a Christy Martin moment. What that means is she, the first time she fought Christy Martin for boxing, in boxing, people thought we were crazy. Another world champion knocked everybody out. She was all fierce. She'd been in Mike Tyson's undercard. <laughs> I said, oh, she's got no full look. She sucks. Um, she can hit hard, but don't get hit. You know, it's simple as that. It's easier said than done. But Christy Martin swung at her in a fight, and Holly had clips underneath it. Just Martin almost fell to the ropes. Holly turned and looked at me, and that was the moment. And then Holly just went on to just destroy her with footwork and hitting her and picking her apart. Just Christy had no, no angles. Well, same thing happened to Ronda fight. We defended the arm bar. We defended the takedown. We actually her down. And Ronda comes out swinging at Holly, and she totally missed. She fell down. She missed right. the heart. She yeah. pissed off. At that moment, Holly turned it up to a level that um, I want to see Holly turn up again in her next fight set level. I don't know if she has done that. She knew that was the moment. I had goosebumps. I knew it was over. And I just went out there and hit her with some left hands that rocked her world, and she was so rocked that then the head kick came. Um, and that, that was it. It's all mental. At the highest level, this, this game is so mental. Yeah. I remember I watched Greg Jackson on some video, and he was talking about you know, breaking points, and he said, you know, everyone has a breaking point. People don't, you know, don't want to admit it. He goes, you know, our job as a coaching staff is to push, you know, our athlete's breaking point farther than theirs and then try to get that, that you know, that guy or girl to theirs first. And I thought that was a really smart way to explain it. So. Yeah, he's, like I said, he's, he has a good way of explaining it. Mental side, he's the, he's the guy. He's the guy you want in the corner making decisions. He's the um, I tell the guys all the time, I, I talk to some of my fighters, they go, yeah, but so-and-so spend all the time with me on this, and, and I got it, I got it, we want them involved. But at the end of the day, you want the head coach, you want the, in, in, in your corner, you want the, when you go to the Super Bowl, you know, you want the guys that make <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. But it's too late to teach technique. Right now, it's just what's the best path to victory. And that's, uh, you know, Greg and I work real well there, and I'm, I'm real, real lucky to have ran into him one day. Well, you know, it's crazy is I've coached a lot of MMA, you know, most of them obviously at lower level shows than you have, but I, I was just shocked at how, like, you know, I'd be partnering up with other guys, and these coaches would be, and it was mostly guys at that point, but they'd be showing these guys moves, like, while they were warming up, and I, I would just be like, that'd be like right before the national finals, I was showing a guy a new takedown finish or something like that. I'm like, it's, 
if we're learning new techniques, you're not going to do that in the fight or in the wrestling match. It's, and it almost, I think, screws up the guy's confidence because you're like, why are you showing this to me? Do you think I need to know this to win this fight or wrestling match? And I think it does more harm than good. And if it was that good, you should have showed it to them. Six, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, when they could use it, right. Yeah. Well, I see it all the time. It's quite comical. What I've noticed a lot of times, a lot of coaches, and it's, I understand it's human nature, but they all want to be stars. You know, they're all they're all trying to build their brand in their own way. Well, I get pissed off because I'll get some, you see it from the outside. And, and it's happened with us. Um, we've all been guilty of it. But uh, you almost want to push your fighter to win using your stuff, where that's definitely sometimes not the easiest path to victory. And that's messed up. You know, at the end of the day, the fighter's got to win. So as a, as a striking coach, if I know our best way to win is take this guy down and pummel him, then absolutely. You know, when we have uh, um, guys doing that, I, I definitely want them to wrestle. Um, I love it when you knock him out. crack Machida. Machida hits the ground in front of me. He just grabs the team easy. I love that stuff. Sure. But uh, I'd be stupid and idiot. To, to try to win using my stuff when I know the best path to victory is something else. Yeah, I think that's, I, I don't want to say mature, it's a very intelligent way to look at it because, like you said, I've been on a lot of MMA coaching staffs where I was the wrestling guy, and sometimes the biggest advantage the guy had was jujitsu or striking, and you're just, you know, sometimes you're just there in case there's one little flurry that you can yell the right thing, but to try to make the person win in the area that, that your strength lies is, is short-sighted. Like you said, get in, get out, take the least amount of damage, you know, and, and be able to live the fight the next morning. So um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about John Jones. Um, I had the unfortunate luck of having to coach against him in junior college. And, you know, he obviously comes from a family of elite athletes, brothers in the NFL, and to me, he sort of got the perfect body for MMA, like really long arms, really long legs, you know, big hands, really good flexibility. You know, basically he's undefeated with, you know, one controversial 12 to 6 elbow call. He's got this huge fight coming up against Gustafson on the 29th. You know, what have you seen from him that encourages you going into this fight? Well, he has some time off. It's a, it's a, it's a motivated John Jones. Um, he started training camp very early. Uh, he definitely didn't do that last time we fought Justin. Um, John is, is more mature. His power has come up. His wrestling is looking really good. Um, the, the crux is, is Justin last time, honestly, you know, put John down early on and, and caught John off guard. I believe, like I said, he will got involved a little bit. You know, good. I'm glad he got me, you but uh, he, he gassed himself even more. Uh, we could have been in better shape. There's no doubt about it. But there are no excuses. I think this time we know what Gustin wants to do. We've, we've studied him a lot more. Um, he has gotten better. John has gotten better. But uh, um, I think John John uh, just has too many skills and too many places uh, for Gustin this time. It'll be exciting. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, yeah, I think when you feel like you have the better guy, it's it's or you know better game plan guy, it's certainly, you know, it it, it like you said, it's exciting. So, you know, do you feel like he's changed or has a different, uh, you know, different sense of maturity or anything like like that based on his time off from competing? Uh, yeah, you know what I think uh, his, his body filled up a little bit. I think he got figured out a lot of things that are important in life. 
and uh, you know, it's a cool enough process for all of us because you could do some stupid things. But that usually um, has to do with big thinking and stuff. John, John would say, "Why well, he's the nicest guy behind the scenes to everybody? He he will roll with the beginner. He will uh, um, strike with the beginner just to help him out when they come in. He doesn't carry himself in the gym like these other than, um, and that's usually part of sometimes that. But where he's gotten better, um, he's always been the best money in believing himself. But uh, now he's putting this." developing more power um, and then just finishing people on the ground. The jiu-jitsu finishes are just looking good. He was just talking about left and right the other day. Um, when he gets on top of you, we already know it's a bloody mess. He's down time is there. So now when people turn, he's going to tap him down. So he's able to blend those two together really well. He's gotten much better at it. And now he's starting to believe in his power. I mean, we were talking about a guy that first came when he came over to us. He was a really good wrestler with some goofy strikes, but he I never taught him that spinning elbow he throws. He did that before he came to us. Um, but what John did is uh, he started developing this, this great kicking game and this long range game that started talking about it. And he was one of those guys that say, Hey John, go try this. I kick the guy toward his knee this way on the side, blah blah blah. And John goes, Okay coach and now everybody in the world does it. <laughs> we didn't I didn't invent it. Of course I stole it, but John made it mainstream because he was willing to listen to what this can do. And he had, that kept people off uh, off balance. It kept them from closing the gap with their strikes. So it gave us time to catch up on our boxing skills. It gave us time on, on so many things. So John was throwing so many things that looked like chaos, like he was making them up at the time. Behind the scenes, so many reps on those. But they were really done more as a distraction in the hopes of getting him down and grounding pounding. Now, though, that's played out. All those strikes at any one point in time can change into a power strike. So John has matured, as you saw with Cormier, in that things are being used for a purpose uh, strike-wise. It's not just a, it's not just a hit, 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 so we can take somebody down and elbow in the face. Now, and we're with strikes, don't get me wrong, most of the fights are going to strike them wise. So now it's to knock people out. Yeah, a couple things. First of all, um, I, I don't know if you're walking around a little bit, but where you were at the last part was a lot easier to hear you, and I want everybody to be able to hear what you're saying. So um, oh. so you made a comment that I thought was in, in there. There's a lot of interesting things, but one comment that st stuck out to me was, you know, you said what he was doing with his leg attacks bought you guys some time with the striking. And I think that's a metaphor not only for, like, his career, but also just, like, fighting in general. Like, you see a lot of times, like, okay, you clip me and I'm stunned. And maybe I get in on a leg, or maybe, usually it's that. I usually can get a takedown and sort of recover on top. You know, it, and I think that's a lot of times, like, I think wrestling can be the same way. Like, okay, you know, you're really better than me on my feet, but I can get one takedown, I can put a good ride on, and then just kind of get my composure back. You know, when when you're coaching guys like this, a lot of the mental side is, is explaining this this stuff to the guys and girls you're coaching, right? Oh yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's uh, and sometimes, you, of course, you don't want to say, "Hey, look, your boxing sucks right now. We can't keep up." But we're fighting. Like for instance, we're fighting Page. And don't get me wrong, John. I think in a boxing match, who knows? Um, but it's like, you know what? Just kick him in the damn leg so he can't hit you with those big punches. And then all of a sudden, he's second guessing, closing that gap on us. And that's and John actually hit him with like a jab hook uh, uh, that, that kind of rocked him for a second. Different things that John had never done before, but it's all because. We, we set up that, that situation where he was at longer range, make, make rampage second guess coming in, 
it, it's kind of like that. You know, you want to you take people mentally out of their game, like Greg Jackson is, is a master of, and, uh, um, and it gives us uh, a better path to victory along the way. The skills keep getting better and better and better behind the scenes. And uh, they're playing out. They're playing out for John now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I know you mentioned your background is, is Muay Thai, not wrestling. But when we met each other this summer, you know, it was, it was interesting to me how glowingly you spoke, you spoke about wrestlers and just what you thought of them and, and our sport. And most of my audience, obviously, are wrestlers, coaches, or fans. So why do you, what do you like so much about wrestling for MMA? And, you know, if you could advise wrestlers who are looking at MMA as a career after wrestling, what advice would you give them? Well, first off, wrestling, I think, is the, is the best thing kids can do at a young age because uh, we don't tussle and, and fight enough fight uh, being on world words in America anymore. You know, kids now are just, they're, 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 a lot of them are turning into sissies because they're not allowed to, to tussle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, I think that's messed up. First off, kids need to learn how to deal with conflict. And, and if you get thrown down and you get back up and throw the other guy down and then you run and, and, and knock him over and then catch the football, those type of things uh, make kids, it's easy to deal with when someone gives you a hard time. You go, it's, it's like, screw you, screw you. Okay, good. Let's go. Let's go, you know, have a Sunday for a kid. <laughs> right. You're, yeah. you're older. But I think if kids don't do that, now all of a sudden, like, oh, he, he called me a name. He called me a name. It's like, really? He called you a name. And now, well, he called me a name, so now I'm going to go hide behind my computer. Next thing I know, I'm pissed off the world and I'm going to shoot everybody. I think, I think we're messing up. I think we're messing up kids as, as general by not letting them understand that, um, even animals do it. Yeah, you see dogs, puppies just rolling around with each other. You have to do that. There's so many things they're taught that psychology-wise is way over my head, but I, I know it's happening. I also believe then, but through wrestling, though, they're not taking a lot of brain trauma. Don't get me wrong. People get thrown in their head. I got it. They get thrown in their necks. There are injuries. But unlike boxing, where it's consistently getting hit over and over and over, I'm a little anti-brain injury, um, and I think – um, the wrestlers learn all these different things. They learn to strive. They learn to grind. Um, they, they have to push through. They have to persevere through that mat. They have to be intense. They have to be intense. They start learning a little bit about suffering with weight cuts. Um, and I'm not saying there's always the great side to it, but those things make you stronger later in life. And uh, that's, I think that, that works out so well. Once I have somebody that understands that gravity happens, <laughs> <laughs> In all street fights that you see people hit the ground, um, you have to find a way to be on top and or get up. And right, right, right. Yeah. And if you haven't wrestled, you suck. You, you will lose. So um, I definitely think wrestling is the best base. Now that people are learning to defend wrestling better, you'll see most fights end up being stand-up because of it. But if somebody comes in without a wrestling base, they're screwed. Okay. Are you there, Coach? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Dave? Yeah, yeah, come, yeah, yeah. You just cut out for a second. Yeah, There's something in the background. Yeah, I apologize. I'm sitting in place. It's okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, you, you mentioned a lot of things there, and I love it. You know, like, you know, I the part you said about suffering and weight cutting. I think that's one thing that you know, like the jujitsu guys, especially the Brazilians, they tend to just they would compete. I fought in a couple of those world championships, and they would just generally fight at what they weighed. You know, maybe skip a meal or two, but nothing like wrestling, you know, wrestlers do. Wrestlers are used to doing it, you know, for a long season, and then most of the good ones wrestle 12 months of the year. One of the things 
that I think is interesting, and I think it's you know an interesting subject to get into you with. In wrestling, if I'm coaching you in a tournament, it's maybe like, hey, watch out for this one move this guy does. But you know, we're gonna have four or five matches in the span of a day, two days at the nationals, three days. You know, it's more about getting you right than game planning against the other guy. In MMA, a, a really busy fighter, an extremely busy fighter, fights five times a year, maybe six times a year. Most of these guys fight two to four times a year. So the game planning is so much different. You're studying tape like crazy. You know who you're going to fight. You know, all these other things. The weight cut is different now with these 36-hour weigh-ins versus one or two hours in wrestling. You know, how do you see wrestlers who come in just getting themselves right and then being able to work with guys like you and Greg Jackson and other good coaches, you know, like Randy Couture, who's a friend of mine, is a great coach. How do you feel like those skill sets of, of getting themselves ready but also being coachable helps when it gets to the MMA level? Well, of course, it's a little bit different because they don't have to stay on weight. They can actually lose the weight, mostly water, and, and, and then hydrate it quickly if you do it properly. Um, so it's different, but it's the suffering that they've been through before that I believe is that and it's like we talked about earlier, it's the huge. It all still being the same, whoever's tougher mentally will almost always come out. We always see that every day in everyday uh, sports and street situations. You have to be mentally tough to persevere. Um, and I, I, I believe that the people that have struggled a little bit and persevered, persevered through the, the situations and that staying on weight for a long period of time, that uh, um, going, going to practice every day when you don't want to, but you coach them. You think your coach is making good practice, and maybe you didn't want to go that day, or maybe you're just inspired because you want to be the best. But all those things play out, not only in state, but in life. And I think that's what wrestling practice has done. There's not that kind of format in the boxing world, in the kickboxing world, that people get to do that organized sports in, 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 in high school and in college, um, where, where you have to go do these things. And once you set the precedent that you have to show up to work every day, and work hard um, plays out in the MPA world as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I mean, obviously, I'm hugely biased towards wrestling as a martial art. I mean, I've, I like I said, I've done some jujitsu, and I respect that sport. And I, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it's like a new puzzle for a wrestler. Like, you know, we're always learning in our sport. You know, I feel like my learning curve in jujitsu is a lot steeper than in wrestling. That's one of the cool things about MMA is no matter how good you get at one piece of it, there's always these other pieces that can, you know, short-circuit you and cause you to lose the fight if you're, unless you're at least sufficient at those. So, you know, Coach, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and, and more importantly, just the friendship that we've been able to build, you know, since this summer. And I want to wish you and the gym the best of luck, especially uh, December 29th, and uh, hopefully I can get out there soon and train with you guys. And do you have anything else for us before I let you go? No, man, watch December 29th. I'll tell you what, I got a couple other on the card, a couple other kids on the card. I've got a Bavon Lewis. He's my next uh, at 185. He's my next champ at 185. A lot of John Jones looking to him. Sykes um, Bahavadaz Daza from Afghanistan at 170. He can be anybody. Talk about the meanest guy in the world in the cage, nicest outside. And, and Carlos Condit, you know, I think uh, um, his life's the better here recently, and, and he's making a comeback. So I got four big ones. So um, yeah, tune in, and it, David. It, hopefully, we get a corner again in the future. I really enjoyed the, our experience together. Yeah, it was it was a blast, man. I, you know, 
I wasn't the same age, but it was, you know, it's my bucket list, certain things just to be able to do stuff like that. And I had a blast, and uh, hopefully Jason will be fighting again soon, and we can do that. And I want to sneak out there in the spring, maybe on my way out to Vegas for the U.S. Open, you know, stop in ABQ and, and get to train with you guys, and maybe we can have a Moscow Mule together. So. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw you in front of you guys to throw my guys down a little bit so they have to learn uh, I'd love to have you. It, it would be my pleasure, Coach. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. God bless. Merry Christmas, okay? Thank you. Thanks, sir. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, from Jackson Wink MMA, that was Mike Winklejohn. This is David Mirakatani with Matt Chat. We'll speak to you all soon.